RMA would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which this podcast is recorded, the Dharawal people. We pay our respects to the elders past and present and extend that respect to other Aboriginal people listening today. If you have any ultra running experience that you should really try and do this race. You know, if there's a chance that you could do the qualifiers, do the race. Um, I, you know, Alan's experience made me want to do it. And I've seen other runners complete it in the years um, after. And it really is truly iconic. And if you get the weather we got, you know, there's nothing about it that prevented it being um, a really great experience. So if you have any dreams to do something that's that's big, do this. <laughs> Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the RMA podcast. Firstly, I'd like to apologize for being away for so long. I took an extended break from the podcast and I'm still not back full in action yet, but I did want to bring this inspiring episode to you before the end of the year. I will be bringing the podcast back in 2023. I'm not sure what that will actually look like, whether that will be fortnightly episodes, monthly episodes, just every now and then episodes, but there will be episodes with inspiring women that I would like to bring to you in 2023. So please continue to follow the podcast and I look forward to bringing those stories to you. Today on the podcast, I interview RMA coach and ultra runner, Jennifer Morris, about her experience running one of Australia's toughest ultramarathons, the Coast to Kosciuszko race. Coast to Kosciuszko is a 240 kilometer journey that takes you from the south coast town of Eden right up to the highest point in Australia, Kosciuszko Summit, and back to Charlotte's Pass. Runners predominantly run on road or dirt roads um, in this race. So it's a 240-kilometer foot race, and they are supported by crew along the way. And I wanted to get Jennifer's perspective on what it was like to train for and compete in such an event, what it was like to have crew alongside her. So the unique aspect of this event is that you do have crew pretty much the whole way um, supporting you have paces some of the way from sundown on the first night. Um, You're running on roads and bitumen and dirt roads. Um, You are traversing some quite big mountains and running up to the summit of Kosciuszko before descending down to Charlotte's Pass where you finish. Coast to Kosciuszko is an ultra runners, an Australian ultra runners mostly dream to be able to compete in such an event. And Jennifer had actually ran the qualifier some years ago and was finally able to compete this year in the 2022 event. So I hope you love hearing about Jen's story, how she got to coast to Kosciuszko and how she felt along the way and her experience and her journey to the finish line. Let me introduce you to Jenny Morris. Before we begin, a message from this week's sponsor, Physiocram Massage Gel. Physiocram has been helping Running Mums Australia to achieve their running goals for years now and ease those post-training muscular aches and pains. Hurting sucks and Physiocram has our back. To get your own Physiocram, head to www.physiocram.com.au 
Don't forget, if you're a member of the member program, you can get 20% off with your member code. You can also find Physiocrem at your local pharmacy. Hi, Jenny. Welcome to the RMA podcast. Hello again, Nicole. Thanks for having me. Very excited to have you back on the podcast, Jen. Um, I actually should have had a look before this and seen which episode you're on, but I will make sure I add that to the intro when I edit this up. But um, it is also very exciting that we finally have another podcast episode out there in the universe <laughs> after such a big break. But um, who better than to have as my first guest back than you? Um, I am excited to share a little uh, bit of a, a new adventure that you've embarked on with the Costa Cozy race with uh, the listeners. And also those that aren't aware of you, they can go back and listen to our first podcast episode to learn a little bit more about your background. Um, but I wanted to get you on the podcast because you have just completed one of Australia's toughest ultramarathons. I'd say the toughest ultramarathon in Australia, Costa Kosciuszko, Um and just only the last few weeks, well, week, how, how long ago was it now? How many days are we post-race? Ten, ten days, nine days ago, ten days. Not long now. Yeah. And um, I thought I'd give you a little bit of time, one, to get myself ready to record again, but two, for it to sink into your mind what that, what that experience was actually like for you. Um, and amazingly, Alan has put together the most fabulous video um, today of your experience, which I will share in this podcast in the notes for those that want to go along and actually feel like they're there alongside you. But coupled with that video, I'm going to ask you some questions about your experience so we can share with some other women who might be interested in one, learning about ultra running and I guess a bit about where the journey can lead you. I mean, when I met you um, years and years ago now, you were, you were just starting on your ultra running journey. And when I was writing down my questions, I was reflecting back on our little experience being at the training camp for Six Foot Track Marathon. <laughs> uh, we just met not that long before that, really. And you were, I don't know, I think you were dealing with a little bit of a niggle. I was I had a calf thing, I think, yeah. at the time. I yeah, I couldn't even run, but I was still there. Um, and there was something about you that one, I mean, connected us. Um, and two, I just knew that you had this grit and determination to get the job done, that you were never going to stop at just 45 kilometres of the six-foot track. I knew that your future in ultra running was bright and that has definitely been proven over the years with all of the things that you have embarked on. Um, I'm really Honoured to call you my friend, obviously honoured to have you as part of our RMA coaching team and you're just an amazing athlete and person. So what a what a better person to highlight. I mean, many women run the Costa Kosciuszko race every year um, that are mums as well um, and they've been running ultras for years as well like yourself. But I think, you know, you're a truly amazing athlete. You're a humble person. You give it your best um, while working, full-time, raising a family. You've always given it your best and taught others along the way how to go about this ultra-running business in a truly remarkable way. So thank you for joining me. That was a really long intro. <laughs> what an intro. Thank you very much, Nicole. I'm... Um... I really appreciate that you're asking me here today. And, yes, there were many other mums that ran Costa Cozy and much many others that have run it before. 
and um, you know a number of them that were um, better on the day than me but for me it wasn't about how quick I could do it it was about enjoying the journey and Mm. that I did you know it was a long journey and it ticked a lot of boxes for me Um, but I've you know I've got all those memories now and um, they're mine and yes like the video you just mentioned before that Alan put together is just amazing you know he has a secret talent I didn't know he had um and it captured so much you know the the raw the rawness of it all Mm. some of the hurt um you know I could see him breaking down almost when we reached Charlotte Pass there and you know he was emotional I was emotional I think you know we'd all been up all night and um yeah so Thank you very much and thank you for the introduction, Nicole. <laughs> You're welcome. But before I get into what Coast to Cozy is and a little bit about how you got there, I will say, I mean, Alan himself had run, your partner Alan, that is for people that are listening, he had run Coast to Cozy himself as well and he'd crewed before as well. And, I mean, that was a really special thing that you guys got to share this experience together, one, having the support of Alan, which is um incredible to have someone who's actually run the race before as well on in your corner and that's like pivotal I reckon to to having a great experience because he kind of knew about the logistics what worked for him what didn't and how to help you best uh, achieve your goal but you know you've both got this uh, I don't know like drive to do these crazy things that I just like shake my head at <laughs> however sometimes come along for the journey myself along with you like whether you're running around a track of you know 24 hours 48 hours you just go to that to eat donuts nicole <laughs> let's be honest right. go to eat donuts. <laughs> um but like there's something about the people that are drawn into these experiences and adventures with you and i think you know, you're only going to have the best experience if you've got a good team in your corner. And that you did. You know, you had obviously your partner, Alan, who is super supportive of any dream you've ever put forward. He is 100% behind you. And that's so, so special to have. Not everybody gets that. And, I, and I'm and i I'm just thankful that you found that in Alan um, in these last, you know, 10 years found that special partner who loves the same sort of thing that you do and loves pushing the boundaries like you do because, yeah, I think you really needed that. Um, and and also, you know, your friends that came along to help crew and um, and help you along the way, um, even at the end there, you know, you had some RMA girls that that joined you to, to hike up to the summit and back again to the finish and, and people only really want to do that and be part of that experience if they really, if you really mean something to them. Um, so you've obviously shared a lot of your life with those people um, and what you really wanted to achieve and they're willing to help you to do that. So, you know, I just wanted to, to mention those people and obviously we'll be talking about them in the podcast, but um, something this big um, really I guess deserves to to give them some credit as well because it's a it's a long way it's it's a lot of days of no sleep all those sorts of things and and your crew and people watching on as well not just the people there but people that were following along from home as well um were part of this story so before we keep moving forward let's just discuss um what can you tell the listeners what actually is coast to Kosciuszko okay so it's a two hundred and forty kilometer um, journey from Boydtown Beach in Eden 
which kicks off, um, it did kick off on Friday morning at 5.30am. Um, you run um, a short section off the beach, across a road and into a trail for about three and a half kilometres. And then it's it's road until the first checkpoint, which is 24 kilometres. And that's the only section that you run without your crew. Mm-hmm. And um, here is where you run into Toowoomba, it's called, um, where it's notorious for their breakfast. The local school puts on a brekkie. Everyone brings their cash. It's pretty much cash only. So it's, you know, the menu is shared weeks prior for everyone to plan ahead. <laughs> it's a big event for the crew. And from here, you your crew will follow you the whole 240 kilometres um, to, well, 222, I think it is, to Charlotte Pass, where you can then all ascend as a group together another 9K up to the peak, well, the highest highest point of mainland Australia, at the top of Mount Kosciuszko, and then back down to Charlotte Pass where you finish. And that's where it's 240. I think they said it, it actually is 242 um, now, but we we are calling it 240. Yes. <laughs> For those that know, there was a slight um, deviation of the original course for this year only. I don't know if it's going to be brought in for future years, but due to one of the iconic sections of it, which is called Big Jack, it's been closed um, for about a year, apparently due to a landslide. So they had to deviate to a section and they it's called was called Cowbale Trail. So this has always been a section that crew, one member of the crew will run with you um, and then meet back up with the car. And then you don't then have a pacer until um, they say the, the sun, sunset of the first evening, which is about 15 hours in, usually about halfway. I think about, I think they brought it forward at 8 p.m. instead of 8.30 on my occasion and, and Piera picked me up. I think I was about 113, 114Ks into it and that's when you start having a pacer and then between your crew you decide who will then run with you and support you um, on the road and to the finish. Um, So, yeah, as I said, it's 240Ks. It's predominantly road. There's a section of trail, um, not always tarmac. There is most, you know, a lot of wide like dirt, dirt road some cars and trucks whizzing by you and throwing up a lot of dirt into the air, which is a bit awkward, but you kind of just keep going. (laughs) Lots of scenery, some beautiful sections that, um, you know, you can actually look out on and appreciate, even with, you know, the journey that's ahead. Mm. Um, Lots of cows. There was a section I remember wearing a red top, and I looked very interested to a lot of the bulls and the cows out there. So that kind of scared me in that section. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's faster. <laughs> oh, yeah, I don't know. So, and Costa Cozzi's been around since 2004, um, where Paul Every and Diane Weaver were the previous race directors um, who have now... Um, they don't run the race anymore and our current, um, the current directors is Greg Wallace and Mickey, um, I can't remember, Mickey's surname, <laughs> it'll come to me, 
um, are the new directors and they've taken over since 2020 where they've sort of resurrected it and which is fabulous because um, it is iconic and people want to run it. Um, and, it, you know, there's a, a high desire from ultra runners to do this race because I think because there are not a lot of quite long ultra marathons that are predominantly road. Yeah. Um, as we all know, we have a lot of um, the unreasonable east and the south events and western events that are held that are quite quite lengthy, 100 and 200 miles, but there's not many that are on road. That um, I think is why it has a different interest from different um, types of runners mm-hmm. as well. Um, so I think we're all very appreciative of the new race directors um, giving it some life again. Mm. Yeah, I mean, when it started, I can imagine that, and I could be wrong, but I, I'm pretty sure I'd be right, that the people that ran this race predominantly would have been male. Um, there um, been a lot of females in this particular well, race. Well, I know. I mean, even in our, our um, race this last weekend, you know, that was... 48 started, of which 16 were female. So it's still yeah. the high percentage is male. Yeah. Um, and I don't know that they choose it that way. There's probably less female that apply yeah. to run it. Um, I know that they... What's the qualifier? What do you have to do to qualify for this event? So in the preceding two years um, of the year that you enter, you have to have completed a 100-mile and a 100-kilometre event. Mm-hmm. Um for new people like myself who had not run it before. And I think if you'd run it the year previously in the 12 months leading up to it, you have to still do another 100, will prove that you've done 100Ks at least. Yeah. Um, and then they have a look at your Strava history and see that you, you know, you're still regularly running. Yeah. Um, you, you almost submit like a resume of your running for qualifying. And, um, and then you sort of, I think after... The entries open about a month goes by, and then they let you know if you've been selected or not. Mm. Yes. So your experience in that, I mean, you qualified quite a few years ago now. Um, in terms of doing your your qualifying races, can you tell us about your experience that led up to actually competing in twenty twenty two? So the fire was lit. At, I think after I saw. Um, in 2017, Alan Runnett had run the event. I, Alan and I um, were not a couple then and I got to know him during 2018 and obviously that was something quite big, um, you know, in our, you know, running resumes between the pair of us, I suppose. So it was something I thought, well, that's something I could do. How exciting, how interesting. And then in 2018, the race didn't go ahead um, due to some road logistics and council requirements. So the the runners, unfortunately, only found out a couple of weeks before the event was meant to be run. So then I, I, in 2019, I ran my first 100-mile event with the intention to use that as a qualifier to then apply for Costa Cozzi for 2019. Yes. Um, so I ran Brisbane Trail Ultra. I think it was their inaugural um, event yep. that year. Um, and that was an extremely hard event. It was um, quite torrential th- throughout most of it. Um, I was 
you know, have, you know, only two women finish, myself and one other lady. So that was, you know, big in itself at the time. Mm. Um, but they didn't have a Costa Cozy that year, unfortunately. Um, and then I did enter in 2020 and I was unsuccessful. I was not chosen, um, which was really sad at the time. And I just thought, do I really have it in me to keep trying to persevere with big, you know, big ultras with the main goal to do this ultra? Yeah. But the fire was lit and I definitely did have that desire still. So I, um, in 2021, I ran um, Stephen Redfin's inaugural um, track ultra, his event at um, Menai there, and um, was successful in... um, in completing that, running my longest ever, so that was the twenty-four hour, and so that became my my new miler qualifier for entering Costa Cozzi. And then seems like a long answer. And then uh, keep going. And <laughs> um, sorry, I was lucky, and I was selected for two thousand and twenty-one, and I was so excited about it—a dream come true. And about a month into training. I had a lot of um, issues with uh, my left hamstring. Fast forward, MRI later, and I had two subsequent tears in my hamstring. One had apparently was an older injury and one was something that was fresh. So I had to withdraw quite, um, it was quite upsetting, but it was the smartest decision. Mm. And um, that was the end of 21 for me. I think maybe it was a blessing in disguise because they unfortunately had horrific weather um yes only i think they only had 34 that started due to a lot of um covid pullouts is my understanding and i think myself was an injury i don't know how many others withdrew due to injury but it was a very small field and again maybe nine or ten um didn't complete it so not many like probably i think 25 finished 26 maybe Mm. um and then here we are, you know, in 22, I um, resubmitted an application and um, I ran Surf Coast Century back in September um, to validate my entry. I think it was even after after applications, I can't remember, but um, I had a really good run down there, again, in horrific weather. <laughs> But um, I I think I think it was my turn to have um, Mm. some good weather. And um, yes, I was selected. I was quite excited about this year's event. And, you know, and I just started focusing on training for it and getting myself strong and um, making the start line. You know, whatever happened after the start wasn't really in my hands. It was it was something that. I knew would I would be tested, you know, from section to section. But I thought if I get to the start, I've got the right team, you know, they'll help me get to the finish. Yeah. Um, and it really is a, a team effort. I don't think there's any runner that starts Coast to Cozzy that can do it on their own. It's no. just impossible. Yeah. Mm. So in terms of preparation, like let's talk about the actual physical training. What kind of physical training did you do? Mm. Um, that worked for you because everybody is different in terms mm. of how they approach training how did and you'd learned about um 
you know, in the last few years, you had, you know, you'd learned stuff about yourself in terms of running these big races and what you liked and what didn't work for you, what did work for you. So how did you approach training for a 240 kilometer event for you? After Surf Coast Century, so that was the 17th of September, I had a week recovery and um, I was feeling fine. And then I just, I wrote a ten, my, I wrote myself a 10-week training plan. I am a member of TRT Running, Gary Mullins, so he over, overlooked it. And, you know, between us, we just made sure that I was giving it the right attention that it needed in terms of volume, um, you know, sufficient rest days. And I am not stupid. I do have rest days. Sometimes my weeks consisted of two rest days. I was very religious on getting a massage, if not once a week, but once every three weeks in that build-up. I um, was really good with my strength as well. Like um, I go to a, a strength session, which is a group session, which is mostly all of our RMA friends and a few Few, few blokes that we come across, like Michael Malloy from Pure Running, um, Sophie Brown, our um, dietitian that we use here on RMA, um, and a few of our other mums. And Alan comes along for the laugh. <laughs> it's actually a really great strength session. Anyway, that plus some home stuff. And I did have a bit of a hamstring tendinopathy that pulled me up a little bit early on. I was a bit concerned. I had an MRI. And thought, well, it's not a tear. I'm good to go. Just keep training. And that seemed to actually get better as I got stronger, I think, which is something to validate strength training um, yeah. in the lead up to these big races. So I just um, was really smart about the build. I didn't overdo it and I didn't jump my kilometres, my base of my kilometres too quickly. I, I think in that 10 weeks, I think there was... Seven of them were around the 100, 110. My biggest week was about 140-something um, and a, a couple at 120, but that was my peak week would be about 143, I think it was, something like that. Um, I did some hiking within my weeks, which I think is so important. And, I, you know, I've looked back at some of the data from this race and, you know, predominantly more than 50% is hiking. Yeah. It was for me. Um, and that's it. I had a good taper and I felt ready to go. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so it probably wasn't really much different than training for, say, a miler or even a 100K race, but that you were focusing on strength to be able to keep you going um, and obviously still the endurance, like in 140Ks. Let's not sneeze at that. That's a lot for a week, but... You know, you were still getting a lot of running. Um, were you running predominantly road or trail? Yeah, I, I did mix it up to try to not, you know, um, hurt my feet and, and jar myself too much. I mean, I knew I'd be, I'd be running road, but more a trail, like a wide open sort of dirt road. Yeah. I, I li I'm fortunate, to love, and fortunate enough to live here in Sydney, near Sydney Harbour. I ran a lot of the headlands a lot mm. um, and I went out to Carcor and ran the marathon two weeks before yeah. um, or three weeks before and, I mean, that I think was a brilliant training run because it's exactly the sort of road that it was. Yeah. Um, 
I I did do hills in my training more just to to get stronger. I because I had the um because I had the hamstring issue, I wasn't doing any speed work, so I was replacing the hills uh, for the speed work. Um, which I think, you know, and again, this is for me, it worked for me. I can't say what's going to work for everybody. Yeah. But I am not as sprightly as some. I just turned 53. So I have to be smart and apply myself um, sensibly with the volume. Mm. And yeah, some may do more, some may need to do less, but that's what obviously worked for me. So I'm quite proud of that fact that, you know, you know what I did do did work <laughs> yeah and I mean yeah. you should be proud of it and mm. you should be proud of the fact that you're sharing even the fact that you're 53 um because you know people would probably think oh I'm too I'm too old to do you know xyz whatever but you've proven that that age is no barrier and there's people mm. older than you that have done this race like it's just like if you want to do something you just have to get the right team and the right prep and you can achieve it right and you're, pr- you're proof of that. So, I mean, I think you're amazing. And I look up to you as somebody who wants to be able to be doing things, still achieving goals when I'm 53, which isn't that long away, really, when I think about the scheme <laughs> of time. Um, but, you know, obviously you've got good bones and good. you've got uh, years of running history behind you as well this just didn't happen just overnight you can just turn up one day start running and then decide you want to do coast to cozy this has been years and years in the making you know in terms of not just when you found out you wanted to do coast to cozy obviously that hasn't been years and years and years but from when you started running to now there's been a lot that's happened along the way so lots and lots of ultras lots of marathons marathons and ultras in training um fun fun runs and you know one of my training runs was with Jodie Mullen our other RMA coach uh, for her 50th birthday back in October and we ran 50ks just for fun but you know that was a training run it didn't matter how many stops I had I still ticked the distance off so and that was one of the most fun ones I did yeah and I really I tried to rally friends along the way for a lot of my long runs because it you know who doesn't like company when you're out there slogging it for 50 old Ks? Mm. And, you know, I've got a, a few athletes, one athlete that's doing COSI, um, UTMB next week, her first 100. So she joined me for one of my 50K runs. We went up to the mountains. So, you know, a lot of it was um, time well spent for other athletes too. So um, that's what made training for this even more special for me. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> Yeah. Um, I wanted to ask you about um, your crew. Um, so obviously this event requires crew. You can't just turn up to the start line, drop a few drop bags and go. This You do have to have a crew. So can you just tell the listeners who was in your crew and why you chose them? Okay. So um, as you remember, I said I did qualify for this race in 2021. So straight away, um I had a lot of offers from a lot of people to volunteer to crew me, um, which was quite um, humbling and and almost overwhelming because it's like, how do I pick my crew? Yeah. Um, at the time, I, real, I I knew I needed someone that I have run with before um, and that know know me. 
um, obviously, Alan, that's a no-brainer and having the experience of his knowledge of Costa Cozy too. Um, and I did extend the invitation to Piero because I've run with her before and her strength and her resilience and her ability to um, run um, that sort of distance as well. Um, and initially we had another friend of Alan's who I did ask Dean Israel and he was in for 21 um, and unfortunately wasn't available this year due to work commitments. So I straight away asked Pierre if Mark wanted to come along and I thought that saves me tearing her away from her whole family for the time away. Yeah. And Pierre has rec had recently completed Unreasonable 200 Mile and Mark crewed her. I knew he had the ability to get her through that. She did very well in that event. So um, he was really happy to be asked and that's how my crew was chosen. Um, I don't know if you, if anyone does look at the video and looks at my team shirts, it does have 2021 on the shirts, but that's a small thing to um, overlook, okay? <laughs> you can just get a marker and cross the one yeah. out. I just think it shows the journey in getting there anyway. So That's right. Yeah. So that was how my crew, and, and Mark and Pierre are both surgeons, so I thought having that, yeah. um, you know, tenderness that, you know, I don't know, should I say tenderness? <laughs> Tough well, love. Well, I know a few surgeons or doctors. I'm not sure they're all tender, but yeah. <laughs> maybe that but, resolve is Yeah, and, and yeah. <laughs> It, you know, I thought if anything was to not go my way, that I would have their expertise in that area. Hundred percent. Um, yeah. So yeah, so that that was it was quite easy once you know once my decision was made, I was quite happy with the the crew that I you know asked to join me. Yeah, and that's mm. so good because that is a really pivotal part of the journey. She's mm. your crew. You have to have the right crew it can make or break your experience if you don't have the right crew and they have to be people that are willing to thrive under pressure go without a long time of no sleep um you know be able to keep up with you like i mean i would have loved to be in your crew and i have been in your crew in the past in other events um i definitely know i can cope with jenny morris and whatever she's going to throw at me which is a lot sometimes <laughs> probably <laughs> but, um i probably couldn't keep up with you so you know there's that but i i'm so glad that you had people that could be part of this experience too um and, and especially people like piera and mark who who were able to um, have different hats I guess on like they had the medical hat if something was to go wrong with you they knew what to do in that regard they've they've run long events before so they knew what to do in that regard and and yeah I mean it's important it's important to have a good crew what did the logistics involve in getting stuff ready for a race of this magnitude oh. um well you, you know as soon as you get accepted into the race you start, you start booking accommodation so you need accommodation we went down on the Wednesday so we got two nights in Eden that's the Wednesday Thursday you don't have accommodation for Friday then you need accommodation in Jindabyne for Saturday and we stayed Sunday night as well so you straight away need to think about accommodation you need to think about what vehicle so you've got to hire a car you need a car that's big enough to have all your stuff in it room for people to lay back and sleep and if i needed to sleep is there room for me too mm. so we alan used a carnival kia when he did it in 17 so we decided that's the perfect size um and so that's that's the next thing is the accommodation the car and then you can sort of just take a step back and wait till the race sort of progresses in time you know 
couple of weeks before I started to sort of get gear ready. You know, Alan looked after the camp stove, chair, you know, gas, All the um, pots and pans and things that they would need for the crew, and I predominantly looked after getting my gear ready. And that's clothing for any type of weather that was thrown at us. And, you know, leading up to it, we had no idea what could happen. We had snow two weeks before, lots of snow. Um, so I was packing, you know, three different raincoats, wind jackets that weren't seam sealed, um, yeah. thermals, buffs, you name it, I was packing it, um, long tights, seven pairs of socks, <laughs> calf guards, I don't know, everything, shorts, singlets, tops, long tops, running tops, thermal tops. Just throw your whole wardrobe yeah. in there. <laughs> and everything was and everything was separately bagged in little bags. I think there's photos on my video there, just you know, over-organized perhaps, but you know, there was definitely nothing not thought of. Yeah. And then you start thinking about fuel and food and drinks and salt tablets for cramping. Um it just went on and on and on. I mean, we we did a lot of we, we put a lot of food together before we left, but we predominantly bought all the fresh stuff down in Eden, yeah. water and fresh bread and fruit and stuff. Um, yeah, so we had loads. I baked cakes for the crew, um, oh, fudge geez. and, you know, baked stuff <laughs> so they had food too. You know, half the stuff came home, let me tell you. <laughs> yeah, it always does. I, I made myself protein banana muffins, you know, loads of them I ate one um, <laughs> you know you just have to think that you're going to eat all this stuff and you don't but you know I was well prepared I really was and I'd do the same again for someone else if if that was needed you know because are there any so, aid stations at all or no just crew um there's checkpoints but nothing provides anything yeah um at Toowoomba they have the breakfast put on by the school at yeah. um Cathcart, 70-odd Ks, there's a little corner store where I had an ice cream. You can Ooh. get an ice block. I had a golden gay time, oh, which nice. I wasn't planning on having, but I saw it there and stole it off someone. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, so that's pretty much it. You know, there's yeah. not really food along the way. Um, yeah. I think Pierre and Mark grabbed coffee in Jindabyne. I had a proper coffee and drank some of that Yeah. Um, before the big climb. So, no, so you're pretty much self-sufficient. Yeah, you need yeah. to take it all. And, like, in terms of, like, gear, I mean, what was the prediction of the weather a few days out from the event? Because last year it was atrocious rain and wind. What was it like this year? Well, you know, as any runner, and you'd be the same, Nicole, you start looking at the weather a week out and, you know, there was not a lot of rain predicted at all. And we were just thinking, oh, my God, it's actually going to be our, our our luck and it's about time I didn't have a rainy race. Yeah. And we didn't have a single drop of rain for basically the two days. Um, the sunrise at Eden was just magnificent. You couldn't have asked for a better start to send us off um, on our big journey. Um, I had promised Pierre that I would get us up to the summit before the sun went down and I did. I think we got there at 10 to 5 in the afternoon. So yeah. she was really happy about that because she has crewed before and it was a very, very late finish. 
Um, so in terms of the beauty of the day, we captured some of the nicer parts, mm. getting to the windmills, which is about halfway as the sun was starting to go down on the first day, and that was really, really quite beautiful. Mm. Um, so, yeah, our weather was was quite quite um, positive. Yeah. On the second day, it was very exposed and very, very hot. But in terms of degrees temperature, I don't think it got over 24, but it just felt much hotter, I think, because of where you're going and you're on road, and that is tarmac. Yeah. And it did feel very hot. Um, Alan was put ice in my hat. It's a hat that he had for Western States that actually has a reservoir that you can put hat in, uh, ice in. Yep. And he was soaking small towels in ice. And I was just dripping it around my neck and walking yeah. um, with that, you know, hanging off me. And that was really, really quite um, a turning point for me. I think it, fixed a lot of issues that I was having just with a little bit of the heat. Yeah. And I know some people did struggle with that too. So mm. so weather was great actually. Yeah. yeah. I mean you're so lucky. I mean I know the heat would have just been from the exposure, just being so mm. remote mm. And, and and just not many trees and things like that. No. Um, but not only did you have heat, you had snow not, not snowing, but snow up the top of the summit there. Yeah. It had such a vast array of of terrain to go through. Um, I wanted to ask a question about, now you mentioned to me that a few days before, if not the day before, I can't remember when, they told you or they told everybody that they wouldn't be allowing headphones in the race. Now, this is a first, I think, for this event. So how did that play with your mind when you had probably prepared your playlist um, to be running for days, um, you know, 30, what did you say, 37 hours it took you and you had 37 hours ahead of you of no headphones. How did you prepare for that? Personally, it was hard to sort of accept. Um, I train with music all the time. You know, my 40-minute run out the door would have music. Yeah. Um, I, I know people choose podcasts or stories, you know, read books or whatever. I just listen to music. So I did prepare a, a very vast um, Coast to Cozy playlist on Spotify. I think it had 14 hours of music. So um, and we had two sets of aftershocks ready to keep charged throughout the event. And on Wednesday, Wednesday was our pre-race briefing. It was via Zoom. We were in Eden and they just dropped that one in on us uh, as a matter of course. And everyone just was like, why, what? And <laughs> there was a lot of questions and a lot of messaging amongst runners separate to the crew going, this is bleep, bleep, you know, <laughs> and, and trying to overcome it. So I ended up. I had always downloaded Just Spotify to a separate smaller phone to carry that so it had nothing else on it so it wouldn't drain the battery. There was a lot of planning for that purpose. Mm. So I just ran with it in my um, tights for the first section um, and just sort of blared the music from, you know, from the phone and kept that for a little while until I sort of, I think almost until I was joined by some runners, um, you know, paces. Yeah. Um, yeah, and, and it was good. And I had a lot of runners join me sometimes, you know, if we were 
hiking up a hill or running beside each other, you know, singing along. And even the race directors pulled up beside me on occasion asking me what song I was up to at that time. And I, I don't know if anyone else had done the same thing. I'm not sure. But um, it it allowed me to have a little bit of music. So it did play with me, my head a bit. And I know that it is a bit of a mental thing and something that helps you overcome some of the hard parts. But um, that was my small way of overcoming a little bit anyway. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Oh, goodness. I mean, yeah. I mean, I, I can deal with no music, but for that long, that's a long way. <laughs> yeah. not have something external to keep it going. So it's good that you could still play the music, even though it wasn't in your ears. Um, you were still able to have that. So that's really good. Can you tell us about how you felt on the start line because I was watching your video when Alan did the live um, and you can see, you can almost feel your nervousness, I guess, um, anticipation and excitement, nervousness all rolled into one. How are you feeling that morning of the race? I was nervous and I think the days beforehand I didn't, I wasn't really feeling it and I do think that morning it all hit me and you know, you said the words before, imposter syndrome. I did feel like, am I even really meant to be here? You know, I've never done this before. I think my longest was 24 hours. Um, my furthest was the 187, you know, on the track. So everything was going to be new in distance and time for me. Um, I did feel that it was all was it achievable yeah I think it was and and it was I did achieve it but I it was all unknown and you know and I guess it's the same with anyone you know launching into their first marathon you know they get to 36 in training maybe and they don't know what's going to happen at the end so it's about the same distance and pro rata is what I still had to overcome mm. and um yeah so there was a lot of nerves but you know as soon as you got moving and got into that first little bit of trail and just talk to runners beside you you know and there was a lot of first timers this year and a lot of the people I ran with initially were all first timers so it was actually really quite um humbling for us all to be sharing that first section together as first timers yeah yeah so there you go <laughs> and what was your like what would you say was your goal in terms of this experience um I had said ahead of time that 36 hours was something I would like to complete it in mm -hmm. my secret little goal was to beat Alan's time which I didn't his was 35 21 mm -hmm. <laughs> so he remains intact and he said if <laughs> I did beat it <laughs> he said if he did beat it he'd have to go and do it again so I saved him but he still might want to who knows we'll see yeah. see what the future holds there um so 36 was my, you know, you know, hopeful goal. And I wasn't a long way off that, I guess. Yeah. Um, but I, I think I said it earlier on, I don't think this race is about times. Um, it's it's more about getting to the finish and getting other runners to the finish if you need to try and support and help other people. Mm -hmm. um, so they were my goals. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I love that. Did you get to share? I mean, you said that you were running along with a lot of first-timers and, like, was this event like an event where you felt like you were alone? Obviously, you weren't alone all the time because you did have crew some of the way, but 
were you running with people along the way a lot, like back and forward and passing and going, or were you running by yourself mostly? Did you in, share some experiences with other runners? In the initial 24 kilometres, like where you run without your crew, um, I ran for brief moments um, with Alicia Heron, who ended up, it's her first time, ended up second female. She had a brilliant run. Um a few of the other guys that I, their names escape me right now. Um, but I probably had a very strong first section and I didn't see a lot of those runners again who ended up mm. ahead of me. Um, Renee Collins, um, a guy down from Wollongong, it was his first time. We did a lot of leapfrogging throughout the race, like continually. Mm. Um, who He ended up finishing maybe an hour ahead of me at the end. Uh, Pam Muston, I shared loads and loads probably from the 100 to 200 kilometer mark with Pam like back and forth back and forth um she ran her eighth or ninth mm. coast of Cozy and she's you know I think she's 10 years older than me so you yeah. know when you say it's yeah you know you're never too old you are never too old incredible so she's quite amazing um uh so but you never ever there were sections I felt like I was on a dirt track in the middle of nowhere on a training run with a bib on you know like it just yeah. felt like there was nobody around yeah. and then all of a sudden your, your crew car would appear from nowhere mm. but then you had um race officials out there so Jane Trumper and Greg Thompson were out there in a and she was you know they've both run this many 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 times and um they were in the official capacity this year so they were kind of roving race directors slash medics and yep. and it was great to see them so they would just sort of go back and forth throughout the whole course, you know, from leader to finish, and I guess they did that several times. Um, so there was always that, you know, anticipation of seeing them at any given time too. The race directors, um, Greg and Mickey, were out and about, you know, roving, and Gary Mullins was doing the same thing, and he was, you know, really supportive and, you know, could always pull a smile out of me if I wasn't in the mood to smile at that moment. But, you know, it was you didn't really feel alone um, yeah. and there was always someone, you know, yeah. a carter over uh, leap, leapfrog because they're having a, a moment of rest and then so on. And then that car would then leapfrog over you because you've stopped, you know. Mm. So um, I guess, like you said, you know, you don't feel alone because you know you're going to see your crew and you kind of chat when you leave that at one point. Okay, we'll see you in about 5Ks yeah. or whatever. Yeah. So when there your was car always goes, your car's not is your car driving on the exact same road majority of the time or are they going off into different roads no, they stay on the same road they stay on the left we run on the right um and then the only time that they weren't following us so they even passed us in that first section to get to to Wamba, like that first checkpoint the only section that they don't drive on the same road was on this new trail that they had to put into it called cowbell trail so alan paced me in that everyone had to take a pace up and the car had to drive about an hour to go to where we ran out on but yeah. normally big jack i think it does follow you follow along right um and then meet on the other side but on this occasion um you had to detour yeah oh no it's good to know because it's a unique way like of you know you kind of it's kind of um I would say running, if, if I was running this race, it'd be nice to know that my crew were never too far. <laughs> like, they, well, they really aren't. Yeah. 
And I, I imagine that if something went wrong and I didn't get there in a certain time, that they would then come back and look for yeah. me. That's right. Um, and it, not that things like that did happen. And there was a time there between about, I don't know, 75 and 85 that I just started to feel a bit upset in my stomach. So I said, I'm going to walk this section, you know, a section. So they knew that that was going to take me longer yeah. than what about 5Ks was taking. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you just have to kind of work through that and, um, you know, yep. beat. So yeah. I think my, my biggest issue... You know, and I look back, well, it was two issues, <laughs> was I probably didn't need enough um, all the time. Even though I felt like I was continually eating, I just don't think the quantity was enough. I ate more fruit in that two days than I think I have in the last two months, mm. and I don't know why, but it seemed to be the thing that worked. Lots of blueberries, lots of sliced-up apple, um, sucked on a lot of oranges. Yep. Um and that was what I could get down. A lot of potato chips. Yeah. <laughs> Ritz, Ritz crackers. Yeah. Um, you know, but the minute I would say, oh, that's good, it would be like for the next four hours they're shoving that particular food in my mouth. And it was like, okay, I'm, I'm overdone with that one now. <laughs> Let's try yeah. something else. But, you know, it, it was very hard for the crew to, you know, get me to eat. And then when I, I guess when they found something that appealed, we just sort of kind of had to stick with that. Yeah, yeah. And that's the thing, I guess, too, it's hard to know. You can train with something every single training run and on the mm. day it could be the worst thing for you. You just cannot stomach it. So it's good to have variety. Obviously, oh, knowing yeah. Alan and the way he packs for crewing, you definitely had variety. Um, I mean, I wouldn't have even thought fruit, like uh, some fruit, yes, but certain fruits I would think might even upset your tummy, make you a little bit, you know, a bit too much, what is it, fructose or whatever in it. Um, we got but, in a really good routine during the night. Like they decided at a certain point that, you know, it's time to get some warm stuff into me. So yeah. we tried the two-minute noodles on their own and I was like, well, you know, it was like dry and glue. Yeah. But then... And we had soup, so we ended up putting the noodles into the soup, and and that's that kind of worked for a good yeah. portion. I don't know many hours. So I'd come in, I'd walk off carrying the soup, I'd eat that, I'd have a sip of water, and then we kind of run walk to the next mm. section. Mm. Um, and we did that quite a lot mm. um, until I think probably the morning. I, I don't really remember when we stopped having soup, but I had a fair amount. I thought. Um, and there was one occasion in the night that I, I think leading into the night that I didn't put some long pants on soon enough and I was shivering quite uncontrollably and they just had to put me into the car for a good 20 minutes or so and just get me warm again and feed me and, you know, before I got out. I mean, I didn't, I wasn't um, suffering with anything. It was just... The lack of, I think I just got too cold too quickly and probably should have warmed up sooner. But I overcame that quite easily. Yeah. So I, I think, you know, I, I suffered my own bouts of sickness and issues, but I was, I guess we overcame, we just troubleshoot, you know, I kept saying it was like troubleshooting all the way or problem solving, you know. If something came up, we'd just work through it and we'd fix it and we'd move on to the next yeah. and get ready for them next thing sorry was there any time that you slept at all 
No, I I always said to Alan that there's no intention that I will sleep mm. unless he thinks it's, you know, something, you know, my health was deteriorating or he believed that I should sleep. I'm not the sort of person that can fall asleep very easily. He is. I mean, Alan could go, I'm going to sleep for 15 minutes and in a minute fall asleep and wake up and he's right to go. He has that ability and I wish I did. Um, I don't know if my shift work in the past has, has conditioned me to be able to stay up all night. I've, I haven't done it in previous 24-hour-plus events and I didn't have any intentions to. Um, it was, you know, Piera was with me at the time during the evening that I started to get a bit sleepy and we just started to, I just used no-dose um, and that was all I needed just for that pickup. So I, and as soon as the sun came up in the morning, you know, you could, I do feel like a new person mm. and it just kind of revitalises me regardless of how tired you probably are. I just always find that as soon as the sun comes up, it's sort of, you know, next next challenge. <laughs> what about the crew? Did they get any sleep? I, I think they inadvertently had small um, sleeps, you know, 15, 20 minutes with, at various times. And there was quite a few times I said to Alan, you guys need to make sure you sleep too, you know, because I'm – I'm only successful if you guys are kind of alert too. Yeah. And so he said, you know, that they were getting little amounts of sleep. I think maybe they had a couple of cat naps each. Um, mm -hmm. There was one time I remember when um, Piera was with me in the eve in the night. I think we just finished um, climbing Baloka, which is a a road hill section at about I don't know. I could maybe 145, I'm not quite sure, 150 or something. I'm not sure of the distance. But um, then we got to the car and it was just, you know, dead silence. They're both asleep. So Mark and Alan are asleep. And I'm just like, we'll just leave them and keep going. And she's like, no, bang, bang, bang's on the window. <laughs> they just wake, wake up. <laughs> wake up. It was the biggest star. And Alan's like, you know, jumps to, biz to business like a, you know, <laughs> like he's just something happened. And and I, I even think that so then we, you know, open the tailgate and get a drink out or get out whatever because we were going to change over and I think I think Mark was joining me or someone was going to run with me instead and um, and he's still, the whole time we're talking to Alan, he's like in this complete daze, you know, still asleep. <laughs> I think he was sleepwalking. In La La. So, you know, there were a few, few funny things. Yeah. Um, so you didn't have any hallucinations or anything like that? Um, so I don't really. I know I have in the past, and I, I, I no, I don't think so. Um, no. no, I think it was just maybe because you've got distractions and you've always got someone with you. Maybe I can't remember, but I know, I know that I have hallucinated a lot in the past. Yes, yeah, yeah. not any I can remember to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> um, there was a part in the video which people should watch, um, where Alan, you're not far from. I think going towards the summit, I think it was, or about to go up the summit, perhaps it was. Um, and Alan mentions that you're not in the best space and you didn't want to be filmed. Um, how far were you in around that point and what were you feeling? I mean, how, like, where were we in the race? Okay, so we were just approaching Charlotte Pass, um, which is a fairly big point in the race. Um, how many k's is that roughly? So it's two, two twenty-two, two twenty-three, I think. 
So, you know, you know you've really only got the summit to go. But when you say 18 kilometres, it's nine up and nine back. It's Yeah, and I've run that summit trail. It's four hours or yeah. less or more, you know, let's just say about that based on the pace that I was moving at. Yeah. Um, so whilst you feel like you've ticked off a huge thing, a huge you know, percentage of this race is still a lot to go. And it was kind of like, I just want to be done, but I know I'm not. Stop telling me to have fun. I'm really not having fun anymore. <laughs> Can't I just get off my feet? I know I've got to do this. My friends are up there. I really want to cheer, be cheery for them, but I just want to curl up in a ball. Um, and... You know, and no, did we have words? No, certainly not. I think I was sick of having to be force-fed food. I was done with eating. I just wanted to stop. But I knew I still had the best part to come. So it was like a bit of a yin and yang kind of thing. Like I really want to do this, but I really just want to stop. Mm. So no, I didn't want to be filmed, more because I didn't have anything probably nice to say at that moment. (laughs) (laughs) And I know you, Jen, so I know exactly how you were feeling and what you were saying. <laughs> but then, as you will see in the movie or the video, we get to the our car, we get to Pierre and Mark, and there's um, Sarah and Emma, who two lovely ladies who I coach and as well very good friends. Nicole knows them very well. And they were there and they were going to join us for the summit. They had all their mandatory gear, they got all their gear checked, and they and off we went. So Alan and st- stayed with Pierre and Mark to get everything sorted and gather all my gear because everyone that summits has to have mandatory gear as well. Yeah. Um, they can carry mine for me. So they get it all checked off and then off we all go. So I took off with Emma and Sarah. Um, well, and that was Jane Trumper said that. Just go, Jen. They'll catch up. Just you get going while they sort the gear out. Yeah. And off we went and they just caught us up and on we went to the summit, you know, and like every turn was like a false turn for me. I thought, surely we're there by now. But, you know, when you're exhausted and you're not, I wasn't running. Mm. I don't think I ran anything to the top. Mm. Um, and there's a couple of snow traverses to get to the to the main big traverse, which is, was quite icy and quite dicey even. <laughs> um but we got us. We got in a good rhythm, and I felt strong still climbing. Um, yeah, and I can't even remember if I've ever walked or, tr- you know, tried to walk in snow. So it was it was quite interesting, and it you know I, I enjoyed it, and it was great to be up there and be where everyone else has been before, and actually achieve that goal. Mm. And I think. Um, Alan videoed me as I was starting to turn to go back and there's a real, and I think I was close to tears then because I was like, now I'm done, but I'm still not done. <laughs> <laughs> but were you thinking like I'm kind of done? <laughs> were you yeah, thinking well, I, like oh, now I'm on the home stretch, I'm, I'm, well, I'm going to do this? I knew that, you know, you're going, you have to get back because that's yeah. where the finish is and there's, you know, unless I'm going to die on a mountain, I'm not, <laughs> not going to finish, so. <laughs> so I knew that it was done. I think the emotions were really quite high then and my I felt quite sunburned. Like as soon as you hit that snow, it just reflected off your skin and I, I could almost feel my lips burning. Yeah. Um, and they took a good week to heal afterwards. My face, you know, anywhere from sort of glasses down, 
you know, that sort of chin section was quite burned. It all peeled. Um, and I know a lot of the other run, runners, like Andy Hayden, had terrible, terrible lips. I saw Pam this week and her lips were still blistered. So I know that I wasn't the only one. Mm. Um, but, yeah, the, getting down from the summit was was the best part. I, I found some a few moments I could run. I ran a few little sections um, with the plan to save it for that final home stretch, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. which was quite um it was it was good to do and so do you run you know, right down into charlotte's pass down the bottom or does it finish on the road no you just run back to the car park, car park. um where that that nine that summit starts yeah. at charlotte pass yeah um and they just have a little ribbon up everyone gets to run through a ribbon which is kind of which is lovely and that's always been a coast to cozy finish yeah um so yeah i i quite enjoyed that and having all your friends there too was really good what so, would you yeah. say um because obviously when you're going the last I mean it could be any time in the race that's the hardest time for you it could even be the start of the race that's the most difficult time for anyone really but what would you say would have been the most difficult part for you and how did you kind of get through that section in your mind it most definitely is the climb on the road from basically Snowy River, which is after Jindabyne, to Child Pass. Um, it's just following the yellow line on tarmac. It's it's just relentless. It doesn't stop. And it's not a steep climb, but it's just a climb. Yeah. And I, from the night time, I started getting sort of this bladder thing going on I don't know if it was an infection or not and we didn't want to tell medics because we didn't want anyone to tell me to stop but I needed to basically pee every other kilometer mm. and it just that climb when it was so open was quite exposed and there's no toilets so you know I apologize to any um one driving past running past <laughs> the, the flashes I gave them because, you know, by the 25th time I was past caring and I didn't even bother to find shelter. I just <laughs> stopped where I was and I was, and, you know, it's not a lot, but, you know, the pressure there. So when I tried yeah. to run and that that mm, jostle, just, I just couldn't withstand it. Um, anyway, so that was my own other demon to sort of overcome, but it definitely was the worst part for me was that climb. Um you know, and I know at the end of my finishing video, it said I would never do it again. I tell you what, if that part wasn't in it, I'd consider it. <laughs> but that just oh, did it. I was like, oh, they all say that. <laughs> and then they go and do it again. <laughs> Maybe if I'd started, well, done my first one 10 years ago, I'd probably do it again, but not, not now. I mean, yeah. there's a lot of other big events out there. <laughs> She's doing it. <laughs> but, like, yeah, like, so when you were having those, I mean, obviously the bladder was a thing, but like when it's just tough and relentless and you're looking at a yellow line on the road that you feel like is never, ever going to end, what do you go to? Like where do you go to to get yourself through those moments? Um, well, you know, I've got a pacer with me. You know, if it, it was Alan and Piera for those those climbs um, and we just talk and, you know, I, I don't even remember what we talked about, but, you know, there was... 
you know, moments of silence and just, you know, you're going to do this and you're doing well and just validating that, you know, everyone else is doing it tough too. You're not the only one, um, that sort of thing. You know, I just had to just soldier on and I knew I knew I was. There was never a, a moment in my head that said I was not going to finish yeah. or I was going to give up. I mean, you know, yes, something may have caused me to not finish, but that would have been out of my control. I would never have made that decision myself. Yeah. And I know a friend of ours, um, Doug Richardson, who didn't finish, had some of his own issues. And I said to Alan, you know, what would you have done if that had happened to me? And he goes, well, I don't know. I mean, if I was in the, the position of Sarah, his partner and crew, he may have had to make that decision for me. Um, and, you know, and I I guess you, you, when you're not with, you know, of, of sound, you know, um, comprehension at the time because he was suffering quite badly with some exhaustion and a um, bit of exposure, he couldn't make the decision for himself. So, you know, does he have regrets? Was the regret, you know, is the regret because he couldn't make the decision himself? Who knows? And I'm, I'm just speaking quite candidly and, they're, they're things that you have to accept. You, you take your crew on to look after you and decisions have to be made. So I'm pleased that didn't happen for me. Yeah. Um, lucky, you know, I said to Alan, you know, if I needed to sleep, I would have. And, you know, I had time up my sleeve. You have got 46 hours to finish this. Mm. And there were two runners that came in over 45 hours. Um, and I had off to them for going for so long. Yeah. You know, but they're still finishers and they still got the same reward that I got and the same reward that our first, you know, first our podium um, runners got too. So it's just about getting to the finish. So what was the finish line feeling like for you? Oh, it was just I've done it. You know, it's been such a long time in the making for me, you know, the three years to sort of get into the race. Um. Alan and I are not married, but now we are part of a family. We have an Akubra each. We're p- part of the Coastal Cozy family. So that that was something for me. Um, you know, we didn't have our Akubra yet. We had the presentation the next day. So I was looking forward to that. Um, and that's the thing. The race doesn't finish until, you know, you get go to the presentation the next day, and that's a big, big production too. So that was really quite enjoyable as well. Um so you get yeah. the Akubra, for those that are that are listening, you get the Akubra hat with a pin that says Coast to Cozy. Does it have the year on it or is it just a little pin? No, it just says Coast to Cozy Marathon. And then for subsequent finishes, they get pins to then put on their, their Akubra they got for their first finish. So yeah. at the presentation, um, the first finishes are presented there at Cuba obviously but then the others get their pins so it's it's quite it's quite a lovely presentation and they made a big deal about they they just picked a hat up or and just in no particular order and they just told a bit of a story about each person at the presentation which was really really a cool way to do it you know and so just for those that didn't know the runners um, a bit of a story of how they got here or what it meant to them and so on and so forth so it was it was really lovely and then you had a big photo at the finish together um, of all the finishes, which I, it was really cool. Yeah. <laughs> so you end up finishing um, sixth female. Yes. Um, and 20th overall. Your time was 37, 16, 54, which is just incredible. 
to think that you are on your feet running and hawking your way through 240 kilometers. I mean, I just think that's such a long time to be awake in my opinion. <laughs> so the fact you are awake and running and walking for that long um, and eating um, is just amazing. So, I mean, there was nine people who did not finish. Um, three of those were women. So, you know, you should be really proud of yourself, Jen, for not only getting to the start line, not only that, but like keeping the motivation to get to the start line after the years that, you know, you had to wait um, and then actually making it to the finish line. So I think you deserve to have a round of applause <laughs> and, um, and yeah, you, you deserve the celebration for this amazing achievement, which not many people get to do here in Australia. And when I was mentioning <laughs> to Mark that you were doing Coast to Cosin, I told him what it was. His response was, but why? <laughs> like, but why? Uh, like 240 Ks. And I said <laughs> to him, because it's like the pinnacle of any ultra runner's dream in here in Australia to do that race. So I'm pretty excited that my friend Jenny Morris uh, was one of the few people that get to stand on that start line and finish through that finishing uh, ribbon. So congrats. Thank you. Thank you very much. Now we're going to finish off with the um, RMA hot lap. So I've written just five quick questions like we do every single podcast. We'll finish off with a hot lap about your Coast to Cozy experience. So okay. first question is, what was the best moment for you about this experience? If you can think of one moment. Um, definitely finishing, crossing, um, you know, through the ribbon, breaking the ribbon and having friends and just um, completing that three-year journey, you know, probably four-year journey really. Um, and just, yeah, I was happy. I made it in one piece. Everything held it together. You know, my body um, let me get through that journey. You know, I absolutely recovered so well from it, which is actually flooring me to be fair like I just couldn't believe I can't believe how well I recovered um and maybe it is because of all the walking that you do in this race That's true. <laughs> um but yeah I think um the finish and I know most people are going to go well that's just a bit bit of a cop-out but the finish was the most important for me yeah no I don't think it's a cop-out I think that's a fabulous mm. answer mm. um my next question is would you do it again I I say no. I see no reason that I need to do that again. Um, I know many do, um, but I, you know, I, I I said a couple of years ago about doing different races, and there's so many out there, and you know I don't know how long I'm going to be running for. You know, hopefully into my seventies, but um, you know, there's there's a lot of our world to explore. So I'm saying no right now. <laughs> That's for sure. Yeah. Okay, I right. definitely crew. I'm up for a crewing experience, anyone? Okay, well, you're not crewing me. <laughs> <laughs> I can tell you that right now. Right then. Okay, never say never, though. <laughs> um, okay, what was your favourite thing to eat on course? Blueberries. Mm. They were great. Yeah, I wouldn't have even thought to take blueberries. That's a great idea. I'm going to try yes. that. Yeah. Um, and what was the best thing that kept you going? um my crew i'm getting teary now i could not have done that without them <laughs> oh 
<laughs> we're almost at the end you're making me cry um okay my last question is what was the biggest lesson or learnings I guess not even lesson but was your biggest learnings from this experience I think if you have any ultra running experience that you should really try and do this race you know if there's a chance that you could do the qualifiers do the race. Um, I, you know, Alan's experience made me want to do it and I've seen other runners complete it in the years um, after and it really is truly iconic. Mm. And if you get the weather we got, you know, there's nothing about it that prevented it being um, a really great experience. So if you have any dreams to do something that's, that's big do this <laughs> great well, where can we find out more about uh your journey as well as this race where can we look up all this information um i've been putting a lot of posts on my instagram feed which is gen runs one two three um and facebook alan did put a lot of um a lot of the updates were live on my phone he was using my phone during the race there's also obviously the Coast of Cozy website, which is yep. probably just that, coastofcozy.com.au. Um, yep. um, there's a lot of information in there too about the history and the course. I don't think the course will keep that change in it for future years, but I don't know. They were asking, there was a survey, they were asking what we thought about it. Mm -hmm. I think everyone said it was a little bit harder than Big Jack normally is, okay. uh, and I tend to agree. But yeah, so that's where I'm at, my Instagram and Facebook, as I said. All right. Well, I will make sure they're in the show notes. Thanks for joining us, Jen. And thanks for sharing this experience with us. I'm sure this is not the last time we will have you on this podcast sharing an experience because I know, I know, because I'm a special friend and I have insight <laughs> into what you're looking forward to trying to achieve in the coming year. So Fingers crossed it all goes your way and we'll get to have you back on here sharing more of your adventures soon. So thank you. Thank you, Nicole. Thanks, RMA. And it's been my pleasure to come back on your podcast. Oh, you're welcome. Well, I hope you loved this episode with Jenny Morris talking all things Coast to Kosciuszko. If you have a question for Jenny, you can reach out to her via her social media platforms. I will put a link to those in the show notes, also a link to the Coast to Cozy race and a link to the YouTube clip that you can watch Jenny's journey through. Thank you so much for joining me for another episode of the podcast. If you love this episode, please go ahead and rate and review it on Apple Podcasts and share it with your friends. I just wanted to make a note too, just to let you know that we have opened the member program for 2023. So you can jump on the Running Mums Australia website and sign up for 2023. We're very excited to bring to you the 2023 program, which celebrates 10 years of RMA in our Australian running landscape. We have a uh, celebrated this I guess with an indigenous artwork on our buff design this year by Dustin Coa Art and we're really proud of that and uh, so excited to share that with our members this year so you can jump on our website runningmumsaustralia.com.au and sign up whenever you can 
We look forward to having you on the journey with us in 2023. I wanted to wish everybody a safe and happy Christmas and a wonderful new year as we head into an exciting new year of running adventures to come. I look forward to bringing you another episode of the podcast early next year. For now, I hope you are safe and well wherever you are. Speak to you next time.